Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create arts for the health of it. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh, oh. love watching everyone in the back like swaying to that theme song and he's always back there like singing like this i'm dancing whenever there's music happening i love it the theme song right hi everyone welcome to arts for the health of it i'm your host richard wilmore and i'm your other host constanza roter and i'm so excited about constance and constance scharf am i pronouncing your name correctly Mm -hmm. yes um we came upon your work through a mutual friend. And as soon as I found out about it in your new book, that's out, I was like, we have to have her on our podcast. And here you are. I'm so excited you're here. Well, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Well, can you give us a little, um, (laughs) a little introduction to who you are, what your background is, um, leading up to this, this book that we're going to get into? Yeah, so uh, I was in graduate school um, in the early aughts, mid aughts, and I was I, I've been sober for twenty three and a half years, and I was in a twelve step program, and the uh, veterans were starting to come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and they weren't getting sober, and they were dying, uh, killing themselves, and I had a lot of early high, early childhood trauma. And so while I was sober, I was pretty miserable. I was very depressed. I was very often suicidal. And (laughs) excuse me, when I saw these veterans, you know, dying and I was miserable in my recovery, I thought there has to be something better. There has to be better treatment for Mm -hmm. people with addiction and trauma. And uh, I went, I changed everything that I was doing in graduate school and started looking at complementary therapies and that go along with traditional forms of psychotherapy that improve treatment outcomes. And one of the things that I learned is that there are various forms of arts, art therapy, music therapies, um, drama, somatic experiencing, which can be very similar to drama, uh, narrative, which is I work as a writer, I work with a lot. So that's what I looked at. And while none of these things on their own is curative, right? Writing a song isn't going to cure your, your trauma. But when they're put together in a therapeutic program, they're, they become synergistic and are more than the sum of their parts. And mm-hmm. so that's what I've been doing for the last no, 15, 20 years. And you have your PhD in transformative studies. Yes. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So if you don't know what it is, right, you know, viewers, if you don't know what it is, that's okay, because there's one school, to my knowledge, there's still only one school that has it. Oh, transformative wow. studies is the study of change. 
And so it's transdisciplinary. So we look at a problem related to change, people in transformative studies, and we we pull from different silos to solve the problem. So Hmm. I look at change among addicts and the traumatized, people who have mental health issues um, in that sphere. And because for me, there's no greater change than someone who goes from addicted to recovered. Right. And so there's a great uh, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, they call it a psychic change. Right. There's a real personality shift that happens. You know, Jung talked about that. And uh, William James talked about it in terms of a spiritual awakening. Right. And so that's what I look at. And I pull from psychology, from religion, from spirituality, from biomedicine, from alternative medicine to bring all of those resources to bear. Because I found that one of the reasons I wanted a transdisciplinary degree is I found that, well, if you just look at psychology or you just look at at sociology or you just look at public health, you don't have all the resources to solve the problem. And I really want people to get better mental health care treatment. I want to ask, like, what, how are people, what's the response to, from people who are going into recovery and, and getting, like, is it something that people are clinging to that you're finding or is this something that you really have to work at getting people on board with, with engaging in the arts to help with that? Well, you know, this was something that was said in the, in the intro piece, right? That, that people don't think the arts are them for them Mm -hmm. or they were taken from them. And, you know, the, the co-author of of the book that I I recently put out, Wes Gear, he often, he's a musician. He, he played uh, with band Korn. He was um, a founding member of the band Head PE. And he talks about, you know, when you're, you see a three-year-old, you see a toddler, right? Two, three-year-old in the grocery store to whatever music is on, which is my generation's, you know, dance music. And, uh, you know, they start dancing and they're getting their groove on and they do not care. Right. And so music is something that's inside of us. Uh, Sonny Mayo, who was interviewed for the for this book, um, you know, Rock to Recovery. He talks about how we have heartbeats and eardrums and heart strings, right, mm-hmm. that we're made of music. You know, my uh, religious tradition talks about the universe being sung into uh, into being that that uh, that there are angels even now who are singing the universe into creation. So music is a part of us. Hmm. We are in a certain way music. Uh, you know, in consciousness studies, they talk about the harmonics of the universe. Right. And so. Music is natural for us. Art is natural for us. And one of the things that I found in interviewing people and in the research on music is your brain doesn't know if you're good or not. Mm -hmm. It only knows that you're doing it. And so, yeah, there's some resistance. Certainly people are like, I'm not a musician. How could I write a song? I'm not a painter. How could I, whatever the case may be. And the reality is we all have it inside of us. And, and with, with music, you know, we have, uh, we have lyrics, right? We have something to express in addition to, you know, being able to play, learn to play a guitar or the keyboards or whatever. You mentioned um, Rock to Recovery, which is the the title of your book, and it's also a nonprofit um, that you've been connected with for many years. Can you tell us about how you met Wesley Gear and 
how you became sure. involved and what that was sure. like? So I was the director of research at um, a very upscale um, addiction treatment facility in Malibu, California. And I was there for one day. I came one day a year to do um, continuing education for the psychotherapists. And a guy, Sonny Mayo, who's in the book, uh, walked into the room and uh, he said, hey, doc, do you want to see my uh, music session? And I said, absolutely, because my research interest is complementary therapies. And I thought, why are we doing this thing? There is no way that even a, a literal rock star, I mean, legitimate, you know, excellent top 1% of their craft musician, there is no way that he could, this was my opinion before I saw it, that he could take people in detox, a group of, you know, six, eight, whatever it was, people in detox who do not play musical instruments and write and record a song in an hour. I was like, mm. I want to see the train wreck. So I went. <laughs> so I went. And my intention was afterwards to go to the owner of the company and say, why do we do this? And I was blown away. Mm. They wrote and recorded a song. And it was, a, it was decent. I mean, they weren't going to win a Grammy, but it was good in an hour. And I saw the therapeutic benefits of it right away because they were expressing things that they couldn't say mm. in therapy. And so the ne what, what sealed the deal was the next morning, the, uh, I was on my way to the airport, but before I went, I uh, was going to speak to the, the clients about addiction. And at the very expensive addiction treatment facilities, you get certain privileges. One of them is that you very often get to keep your phone. At most addiction treatment facilities, you don't get to do that. Well, every night, the musicians for Rock Recovery upload their songs onto mm -hmm. SoundCloud. And so these individuals got to hear their songs and they were walking around with their phones and the bands get named, they name their bands. So they're walking around the, with their phone saying, hey, did you hear what Raw Oysters did? No, did you hear the song by Folding Chair? When was the last time that you saw someone in detox who finished something, who was proud of themselves, who wanted to share of themselves? Mm. You know, I was like, this is something I have to be involved with. And by the end of the year, we were in negotiations for me to, to write the book with Wes. Mm. Wow. What I can't, oh my gosh, I'm trying to imagine what it was like to be in the room and watch that happen. And you, you've mentioned, you mentioned a few things about, you know, people in recovery, feeling proud of themselves and accomplishing something. Why are those elements rare to see maybe in that type of facility? And why are they so important for recovery? Well, think about the nature of addiction, right? Because we're talking about an addiction treatment facility here. And about 80% of Rocked Recovery's clients are addiction treatment facilities, but there are also, uh, you know, battered women's shelters and uh, mental health facilities, eating disorder clinics, VA hospitals, youth programs. There's a great uh, partnership with the Heron Project going on right now to bring this into schools where there is tremendous opportunity to be preventative because mm. the brain doesn't stop developing until we're 25. So if we can get kids not only to not make life limiting decisions, like getting involved with substances very early, um, you know, uh, early uh, sexual uh, practices and so on and so forth, if we can limit those, but also use music so that the brain prunes in a, and grows and develops in a more healthy and healthier way than we're, you know, really above. So, but in an addiction treatment facility, what you're looking at, what are your treatment outcomes? And the first thing you want to do is you want to keep people involved in treatment. 
That's the number one, because we know, we've known for a long time that the longer someone is able to stay in treatment, the better their outcomes tend to be, right? And so, and this isn't new, it's insurance that limits uh, length of stay in treatment, not outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. So people run out of money and run out of insurance before they run out of benefit of treatment is usually the case. And so uh, what music does is it dumps serotonin, oxytocin, playing music and singing, this is different than listening to music, serotonin, oxytocin, and dopamine into the brain. So it le- literally makes people high hmm. in, a, in a natural high. So let's use an example of you and I, let's say we all have normal brain chemicals, right? Normal neuroche- neurochemicals. And we have a bad day and our neurochemicals are here. And we're sitting in our car and we're driving home and we do our own carpool karaoke. A song we like comes on the radio. We sing as if we don't care that the person next to us can see us, wah, you know, in the car, right? We feel better. That's because our brain dumps these neurochemicals. Now, imagine you're in an addiction treatment facility and you've been using whatever chemical, you alcohol, drugs, doesn't make any difference. Your neurochemicals are way going to be way low. They're going to be way imbalanced because you've been getting your feed, you're feeding it from externally. So we come in, they don't go from here to here like we did. They go from here to here, right? Mm-hmm. Because they have a lack of that. So they get very high. Well, that natural high is a reason people want to stay in treatment, mm. right? If, you're, if your problem is addiction and you like getting high, play music and <laughs> sing, right? And so it keeps keep people engaged. And so, you know, uh, for the years, the four years I was with Rock to Recovery, you, every single week would get some sort of note from from a client saying, hey, I stayed in treatment because of Rock to Recovery. There was one person who actually tried to exit their treatment facility, but wanted to come back. I can't remember if it was later that day or the next day to do a Rock to Recovery session. They're like, no, dude, you either stay or you go. And they ended up staying. Wow. Music is that powerful. And what, what we found in writing the book is that this program that Wes thought of because, you know, he had been in treatment. He's also in recovery. He'd been in treatment. And he was like, why isn't there music here? Mm -hmm. And he had his guitar and he'd play silly songs and people responded to that. And so he took it and made this program. And then I came in and I said, whoa, whoa, there's a huge science behind why this works. And so we recounted, you know, in the book, 18 stories of individuals, some of the musicians, because we wanted to, you know, share what the musicians do, but also myself and normal people, you know, there are veterans who have seen combat violence, sexual violence in the military. We have individuals with mental illness. We have sex trafficking. All of the different things that you see with addiction and with trauma are covered in the book. And we want to show that music quite literally helps anyone with a brain. And I say that with no sarcasm. If you have a brain, which means you're, you know, you're, and you're breathing, music can improve your mental health. Hmm. Whoa. Well, if you're listening to this, then (laughs) this, the music is for you and it's helpful. That's, I love the way that you put that. Um, I think there's, you know, we talk about this a lot on our podcast, this need to, um, kind of re-democratize art like that it's not just for the elite or the talented that this is something that we all need and there's real 
biological biochemical changes that are happening in our brain um, that are the reason we feel better. That's not, yeah. There are, and there are different neurological impacts to different kinds of art. So we've been talking about music and music is very special in that it affects the whole brain. It elicits those feel good chemicals in a way that say, you know, being in a stage production doesn't. But if you read uh, 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 The Body Keeps the Score mm. about trauma, there's a lot of work in there about theater and what theater does. And theater does something very similar to uh, what I do with narrative because I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I'm not a musician. You know, I can carry a tune. I won't embarrass myself if I have to sing. I've been in a choir before, but I'm not a musician. You know, the guys will talk about, you know, chord progressions and all sorts of things. And I don't, I, I'm, I'm like, I put the, sh I put the shakers on the chairs. I'm, I'm very good at that while they're you know, doing their thing. Welcome right. to my world. <laughs> but, but. So let's, so storytelling and theater in its own way, they do something different and they, you know, our brains make stories. Our brains take a bunch of different facts and it doesn't, I don't believe there's a lot of true with a capital T. Like is water wet? Well, it is when it's a liquid, but is it really wet when it's a solid? Right? So I don't believe there's a lot of universal capital truth T's. What our brains do is they make up stories. They take a bunch of information, which is where superstitions come from, right? Ooh, I heard all that creepy stuff going on in the forest and then my sheep disappeared. It must be a whatever, right? So I look at little T truths. Is it true enough, hmm. right? So that's what storytelling does. And if I can create a new story, I can create a new reality, Right. And you hear this from uh, the the uh, mystics in India and in in uh, China, the Buddhists and the Hindus and and so forth. We'll talk about if you change your story, you change your reality. You know, so I had a story. I was very, very badly sexually abused when I was a child and I created a story. I heard my dad say he didn't like to have sex with with fat women. Well, I wasn't a woman and I wasn't fat and he was still abusing me. So that clearly wasn't true. But as a child, I didn't know that. So I thought, oh, I've got a good piece of information. If I get really big, then he'll stop abusing me mm. and no one else will abuse me. So I, you know, was 325 pounds when I started working with Rock to Recovery. And one of the guys said to me, he said, you know, what you think about being big isn't true. He's like, you've been groomed to uh attract and i got predators predators would would come up on me all the time probably twice a year i'd get really because oh. i don't see them i don't oh. see them coming and he said you know even though you're big you still get these predators who are attracted to you and and it doesn't matter and i thought he's right he's right and i dropped 75 pounds i've kept it off for over three years and guess what no predators. Wow. So, so when we change our story, we change our reality. My story was that predators are going to be attracted to me. So predators were, and my story was that being big, I wanted to be so big that, uh, I was basically an immovable mass and you just couldn't do anything. Right. Which isn't how it works either. Mm -hmm. As soon as I really understood that, change. Wow. 
And that's what we look to do. Music does the same thing with lyrics, right? So we work with veterans. And one of the veterans interviewed in the book, Hanley, um, who was assaulted, sexual assault in the military, um, talks about wanting to kill themselves. And they were very clear that they were going to shoot themselves. And because there was, they, they were so hopeless until they were involved with Rock to Recovery and found, oh, wait a minute, I do have a community of support. I can talk about these things. It does get better. My relationships do change with therapy and support, you know, and that's the power of music, Oof. you know, and that comes through lyrical expression. That's not through chemicals. It's not, it's through, it's through finding that voice because there are things that we can express uh, through through music, through song that we can't say. Mm. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Minty Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education. You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Make your day richer with The Richard Wilmore Show. Meet amazing musicians, talented actors, brilliant authors, hilarious comedians, and the most creative people in entertainment. Download the KP Media TV app to watch on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Medical professionals are burning out at an alarming rate. Burnout can cause health workers to feel hopeless, trapped, helpless, worthless, depressed, sleepless, and tired. By joining the Hearts Need Art Gratitude Grams program, medical staff receive a personalized email and video from a musician, an artist, or writer once a week that includes a message of thanks, an encouraging song, uplifting poem, or a simple art activity. After watching their Gratitude Gram, participants report feeling more hopeful, empowered, energized, and appreciated. If you are or know a healthcare worker that would like to receive free gratitude grams, please visit heartsneedart.org. Oh, profound stuff, man. Do you get, so I feel like, you know, we're kind of in this bubble of like, we know the benefits, but a lot of people, especially adults who don't engage in the arts or create or do any of that uh, are sort of hesitant to it. Do you get a lot of like, that's great. But like, what does this have to do with my recovery? Like when you bring up something like, Hey, why don't, you know, like engaging in the arts, do you get a lot of resistance that way of like, I don't even like that you have to explain to people uh, what it actually is or no, no, because through the rock to recovery program, which is where I pulled all the interviews from, for the book they're already in that's it's a b2b mm-hmm. right so they're already in an addiction or mental health or trauma treatment or or whatever program and so you have some who are just like i'm not going to do it west writes about in his story a guy he calls mr pink and he walked in and he said i'm a junkie 
and I'm probably going to die anyway. And why am I here? And Wes was like, well, there's a, there's a pink shaker left, you know? And by the end of the session, he was like, Hey, where does the verse come in? Wh what do I do in the chorus? I mean, he's shaking like a little pink Easter egg, right? <laughs> you know? And by the end of the session, he's like, Oh my God, I feel great. Right. And so if we can get people to engage at all, the, the neurochemicals take over, which mm. is unique to music and to yogic breathing. So when mm. I talk about yoga, I'm actually talking about the breath, not necessarily the postures, um, but both of those release neurochemicals um, in a way that, that makes you feel better and makes you high. And so once, if we can get anyone to do that, but I have to say, you know, going out like to the general public, no, they're not very often. They're like, I'm not a musician. I'm not going to do that. And so what we say, you know, is who, to, who, who told you that mm -hmm. you can't do that? There's a, a, a woman in the book, Rachel and, um, young, uh, Asian American uh, woman, uh, father was a professional, um, professional golfer. And um, her mother told her, you can't sing. And she came to the, she was trying, she was actually trying to kill herself by overdosing. Hmm. And she was Narcaned back, her words, so many times that she's like, I guess I'll have to live. I mean, so we're talking, and when I interviewed her, at six months sober, I mean, dead pant, no emotion, nothing. Yeah. And, uh, but she was talking about the only time there was a little emotion was there was some barb. And she talked about how her mother told her she didn't have a good voice. Mm -hmm. And when she sang in a rock to recovery session, they were like, oh my gosh, you sing like an angel. Mm -hmm. And she went, she confronted her mother and she's like, well, you couldn't sing when you were a kid. I guess you can sing now. You know, and so she got to feel those feelings of that disconnect of her mother is never going to give that to her. Right. She's not going to validate her and say, oh, you can sing and let me support you. And But she could feel that for herself. She's like, hey, wait a minute. I have a voice. Not only did she get to use it in song, but she got to use it in confronting her mother and saying, hey, I, I get to speak up and speak for myself. Wow. That's so powerful. I I'm. I'm a voice teacher. And so I get a lot of students that come into my studio that have been told that they're tone deaf or they don't have good voices or whatever. And it's, um, we pretty much all have the same structures. If you can talk, you can sing. Um, and it, it makes me quite mad when I hear these stories. Um, but I think we're just not doing a good job of educating, um, our, our children, our teens, our young adults. Um, that you don't have to be a professional in order to enjoy the arts. You don't um, have to be a professional in order to enjoy the arts. And to me, you know, as a, as a, as a mental health researcher, the thing that just kills my heart is that we've taken the arts mostly out of schools. Mm. And so we don't get children who are trained in our schools in to, to just art appreciation, to learn, to enjoy writing, theater, singing, uh, uh, painting, drawing, all of those things. And if you see something, you know, like uh, on uh, television, it's like, ooh, it looks craftsy. Well, what the heck is wrong with crafts? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know? And so, you know, uh, 
I, I have some paintings from some uh, my, from my godchildren up in my house. You know, mm-hmm. are they professional? No, but I'm super proud because they come into my house and they're like, oh, hey, those are my paintings. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. You are a creative. Well, you it sounds creative. And it sounds like you you and what we do at Heartseed Art kind of we're kind of downstream of we're we're catching these people that are in crisis that haven't been taught these tools of how to cope with the human experience that we have in in the arts and we're having to kind of play catch up and and teach these skills um and we experience the same thing when when we have a captive audience when you have patients that are in the hospital for weeks at a time and they're bored out of their mind they'll basically do anything right <laughs> and, yes and then they try it and then it like completely changes their world um so well, i and, and there are different you know different strokes for different folks right right and so so one of the things so the rock recovery works with the air force wounded warrior afw2 program and several of the people in the veteran section of the book are from that program hmm. and they have a stand-up comedy and improv group they oh, have awesome. a poured art group they have the rock to recovery group they have a journaling group. So they have different sorts of arts programs in their resiliency. So for people to whom, like, the last thing I want to do is the stand-up comedy. I'm like, I will <laughs> sing. You know, the, the singer doesn't show up and they hand me the microphone. They're like, Doc, you're on. I'm like, okay, I will sing in front of anybody. But, like, stand-up I don't know what to say. Like, you know, you have to, you know, yes and. You have to give it back. I'm like, ah, uh-huh. Right? But, you know, and so there, but there are people who love that group and the guy who runs that group, BJ, like he's fantastic. He does, he's, I mean, he's a professional comedian, but he does a great job with that group. And they're, you know, the painting group um, for years, Hanley was running that, you know, and so, and, and, you know, I have one of their paintings, you know, also in my house, Um, the, the journaling group, which is really what would be my jam, you know, if Mm -hmm. I was, if I was choosing, I want to write the stories I want to, you know. So there are different arts that appeal to us in different ways, right? For whatever reason, you and I aren't self-conscious about singing, but I'm self-conscious about drawing, Mm. right? And so I do what appeals to me more. And that's why a breadth of arts programming is so important. Mm. Mm. Agreed. What are you working on now? I know you're probably writing something. I am. I am. So I am promoting, you know, this book, Rock to Recovery. Wait, let's make it bigger first. Hold on one second. Let me do all the things. There we go. There we go. So this is my book uh, written with Wes Gear, Rock to Recovery, Music as a Catalyst for Human Transformation. It's available on audio um, next week and uh, on uh, right now paperback and ebook. I'm also working on a memoir. So I share my story in chapter 18 of the Rock to Recovery book, but you know, there are so many people with trauma and it's really my calling to help people who have addiction and trauma to know that there's hope. I didn't get sober right away. My initial recovery date was November 11th, 1995. My current recovery date, my current sobriety date is June 29th, 1998. Mm -hmm. And I had about a two and a half year span where I relapsed, you know, periodically because all the trauma from my past would come up, the trauma symptoms would come up and and there wasn't good trauma treatment. I want people to know 
that there is good, mm. good treatment available and what it is and how to access it. Because most of the good treatment that's available, unfortunately, is not covered by insurance. Yep. So uh -huh. I want you to know that if you sing a song in your car, it makes me cry because people are killing themselves over this. We had 100,000 people overdose last year, right? If you sing a song in your car, you'll feel better. I want those therapies that don't cost mm. either any money or very much money. Take, take a, a class on meditation, right? On breath work, download a free video off of YouTube and learn how to do it so that it'll improve your life. And that's mm. really where my passion is. So my new book is called Becoming Beloved because my Hebrew name, Ahuva, means beloved. And, um, you know, I want mm. people to know that there is recovery and there is hope. You know, I should have died by the time I was 25 years old and I'm 49 now and I travel the world. You know, my, one of my big dreams, I wanted to see the Sphinx. And as soon as I said, I want to see the Sphinx, a speaking opportunity in Cairo showed up. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, and my boss at that time, the addiction treatment facility paid for me oh. to go and speak at this conference and see the Sphinx. You know, I mean, my whole life, I want to write books. I get to write books. I get to travel the world. I should be dead. Hmm. I should be dead. And, and that's not, that's not where I am. And I really want to share that message. I really, and I want to work to get more arts programming and mental health support, which go in my opinion, hand to hand mm -hmm. in the schools, oh. because, because it's what we're doing now doesn't work. Where, where do we, you know, stop, you know, with the, with the, you know, uh, metal detectors and start with the arts programs, mm. you know, I, I, I can't wait to see what you're going to <clears throat> create in this, this new chapter of your life where you're getting to focus on this full time. I was going through your, your, some of your publications just from the last couple of years. I'm like, whoa, this girl writes a lot. <laughs> so I can only imagine how much more this is going to spread. Um, but I just wanted to key on something that you said earlier about the, the challenge of access that good treatments do exist, but people that need them the most who are most at risk can't ex access them because of cost. But what you said, like what you said, the, some of the more powerful treatments, quote unquote, can be free. It's what it's what we do and how we um, engage with our own expressivity and creativity. I, I was talking with um, uh, a prominent person in the field of of um, arts therapies, and uh, she, <laughs> she was like, "I feel like it's kind of become." a pyramid scheme of like, we've taken this thing that is so fundamentally human and common. And we've made like, we've built this tower. And it's like, in order to access it, you have to go to the tower when it's like, no, it's in your body. It's, it's, it's like you said at the beginning, our heart beats and our eardrums and our heart strings. Like it's, it's, um, it's in us. Um, and I just think that's an important message. And I'm it's, so it's glad you're gonna, are. it's who we are. And that's essentially what I write about is what are these therapies so that listen, I don't care. I don't care if you 
buy the book, get it from the library. If you can't afford the $20 for the book or the $10 for the Kindle download or whatever it is on Amazon today, get it from the library. I want you to have access to know how these things work, why they work, and why you don't have to be managed as if you have some sort of chronic problem. For me, you know, the idea that addiction is a chronic disease that needs to be managed. Usually, you know, there's a big push for it to be managed with medications, right? You know, we've seen what Suboxone has done to the overdose rate. It's not, a, it's great to step someone down off of heroin or fentanyl or whatever, but it's not a good, you know, 10 year solution. Mm. Just like methadone's not a great 10 year solution. In my opinion, I have recovered from addiction and I view my addiction as in remission. Could it come back? Yeah, if I did certain, if I picked up a drink, it's going to come roaring back. But right now, for the last 23 years, it's been in remission. And I lead a normal life as if I am not an addict. And I want people to know that that is possible. Hmm. And one of the ways that you can have that kind of recovery is through expressive arts. Because expressive art, I mean, arts are expressive. And we want to get out whatever is festering. That's why I love the, you know, the book, the body keeps the score, you know, the new book, what happened to you, right? Is it talks about get these feelings out because mm -hmm. they stay in the body. Singing helps to get them out. Writing yep. art helps to get them out. Mm. What is the last creative thing you did for yourself? Wow. Um, you know, well, cause I write every day and so it's hard for me to dis, uh, you know, dissociate what is my work, which mm -hmm. is creative and what is, you know, just creative. Mm -hmm. Um, I, because I'm a creative soul, I set my life up so that my work is creative and, you know, I am writing for the last two and a half weeks. I just left Rock to Recovery to write full time. And, and for the last two and a half weeks, I've just been working on creative stuff. So um, if my writing gets to still be creative, then, you know, I was writing this morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I also, one of the things that I do is uh, I ride horses. I have a horse. And so I've been going out um, and, and working with him and, and, you know, equine therapy is a very different kind. It's not exactly expressive arts. It's not, you know, in the same, but there's a connection there mm -hmm. that I think is very important that comes like if you have a band or a theater group or, or whatever. Mm. Beautiful. Hmm. How can people uh, best connect with, you. So my website is constancesharf.com and uh, all my contact information is there. I'm also on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok. <laughs> so uh, you can- You're you on can, TikTok? I'll I'm on TikTok, you yes. You. you know, it's so funny. I My uh, social media um, support <laughs> got me on TikTok and, she, and I was like, I think I'm old for TikTok. And 
No. You know what? Younger women have been following me because my message is, you know what? It's okay if people call you a bitch. It's okay if people think that you're too strong. It's okay if you're out there, you know, creating and doing your own thing. And I want to encourage you to do that. If there's a job that you want, go for it. Hmm. You know, don't self-limit yourself because someone says, oh, you're a woman. You're very loud. Well, people tell me I'm loud and assertive all the time and I don't really care. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to go follow you right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I put up videos, I don't know, twice a week or so. Awesome. We're yeah. ending the podcast. So Stanzi can go follow Constance <laughs> on TikTok. You can too. I, listen, I feel, I no, I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> I have a TikTok account because we thought we needed one here. We do need one here. At, at Earth <laughs> I to took it over. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm 107 years old when I'm on there. I don't get it. It's what are the kids doing? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I leave it to the young ones like Stanzi. I love watching what the young ones are doing. I think it's fantastic. It's so Cause they're good. out there expressing themselves. Exactly. Yeah. exactly what uh, talking about. They're out there expressing themselves. I'm just the old goat saying, Hey, you can do it. You can do it. Don't let them tell you. No, that's, that's my job. Love it. Yeah. Do we have any final questions, Stancy? No, I think we're good. I, I love it. Yes, this was awesome. Thank I'm so glad so we've talked a lot about trauma on this podcast, but I'm really excited that we got to talk about like addiction and, and recovery. And I think that's, uh, I'm so happy you're here today. Well, listen, they go before, before we go, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Right. Tra- I've interviewed thousands of people over, you know, the course of my sobriety and the work that I do. And you know, not just for the rock recovery book. And I've had one person legitimately say, I don't know how I became an alcoholic. I had a really stable upbringing, no problems, no traumas, no nothing. And I drinking just works for me. And mm-hmm. everybody else that I've talked to, there are some real problems, mm-hmm. you know, and we don't address them that, you know, we have a, you know, acronym, you know, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, Right. And so, but it's not only mental health issues, addiction and trauma and so forth, but it's also physical health issues that Mm. come out of those ACEs. And so I really, you know, you know, for me, would I have become an addict if I hadn't had the early trauma? Probably it it, it works for drinking works for me, you know, until my, you know, liver and kidneys give out and then it's a problem. Right. Which was what was happening when I was 22 years old. But, you know, I really feel like, you know, addiction is overlooked. And so I really, I'm I'm glad to be able to talk about that and say, Hey, this works for addiction too. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Constance, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Make sure you go get her book rock to recovery. It's available where all the books are sold. There we go. It's right there. And make sure you subscribe and like and watch and share and all the things to arts for the health of it on your favorite podcast platform or youtube or wherever you're listening or watching we will see you later everyone keep creating bye thank you for listening to arts for the health of it a podcast produced by hearts need art creative support for patients and caregivers in partnership with the national organization for arts and health you can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Rader. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join
Join us next week to learn more ways you can create arts for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartstein Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.